Hoper was an opportunity for us to be in the great north, the, the peaceful and tranquil north, as Don Cameron always used to talk about, the, uh, the hospitality that you get when you are in the north. And, of course, the soup ladies in the Sioux. Not to be confused with soup Nazis. Nope, that was Seinfeld's and Seinfeld's alone. These are just the soup ladies when you pay a visit to the Sioux. Yeah, but Muyo's isn't there anymore. I know. A pandemic what's the point of going? Casualty. It's terrible. What's the, what's the point of going? I know. Move the I feel you. I feel, <laughs> right? Get them to another city yeah. where another Italian restaurant like Muyo's can cater the media room food. It's a nice I city, hear. though, up in the Sioux. I do like it. Someone asked me about the Sioux today. What's it like there? I've never been. I said, it's beautiful. It's on the water. It's industrial on the water. It really isn't like a downtown core, at least not that we've seen anyway. Like, but it's major greyhound country, which I like. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that, too. I think it's one of those junior hockey markets that, you know, when you're there, you feel that the greyhounds are the game in town. Remember when we were there during the playoffs a few years back and every store in the downtown, such as the downtown is, but was plastered with greyhound signage. It looked great. The, the entire city was Sioux Greyhound crazy at the time. They were, and I think they're always Sioux Greyhound crazy, but when you make it to the Western Conference final like that, it was taken to another level, and it was really cool to be able to see a city that shows so much support to their team you know, through all 68 regular season games every year to see the support they had for them when you know their one went away from the OHL final. It was really cool to see, and I loved it. All the businesses with signs in the windows. I remember questioning where Kitchener's businesses were. Why, like, why isn't yeah. it? draped in rangers colors you know like this is a big moment heading up there for game seven at that time um i I just loved the city you couldn't look anywhere without seeing a red and white greyhound sign it was awesome i might say and i don't know if i did then but my first reaction to that comment now where was kitchener at the time when the sioux was plastered in sioux greyhound signage kitchener might be a little too cool for that sort of thing now i don't know i could be wrong i could be hypercritical you look at the the makeup of the Sioux and that blue collar town and the junior hockey market that it is make no mistake. Kitchener's a great junior hockey market, but I, you don't get that same sense in the city at large, like you do in the rink when the game is happening, if that makes any sense. It does. I also think there's unlike the Sioux with all due respect, there's more things to do around Kitchener. Sure. There's yeah. more ways to spend your money. There's the arts community. There's the tech community you know, all that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, there's, I think the minority of people are Rangers fans in Kitchener. It's a great hockey city, but just because of pure populace alone that in the Sioux, it's like, well, 95% of our population is a Greyhounds fan. Good point. And you got, you know, even on the sports scene, lots of great junior B, yeah. GOJHL in, in the region of Waterloo and all those other things you mentioned. Uh, since this podcast is called OHL Stories, I just want to share one really quick. I can't go to the Sioux, which we did this week without, thinking about this story and you actually mentioned it during our broadcast between periods uh, last weekend, Chris, when we were in Guelph, not on the air, but you said, you know, we got to, we got to get just a whole bunch of Don Cameron stories to share, bring somebody on to talk about those. And I, I said to you then, and I've, I've said before, I, I kind of, I feel bad that my memory is as bad as it is, or I wasn't like really listening to every word. We had lots of great years and, and long nights in hotel rooms after road trips or on road trips where we just drink beer and he would talk and I would listen. I wish I remembered all of the details, but we would talk about, you know, when Montreal was in the league and a variety of other things that I was telling you about. But one story that sticks out vividly for me 
was one of our first trips to the Sioux. So we already made mention of this, the soup ladies and they are the sweetest older ladies that are in the media room in Sault Ste. Marie. They, they manage the media room. So when you go in to get your pregame meal and your drinks and your lineups and all of that other stuff, they are in there to make sure everything is running along just smoothly and that you are well looked after while you're in the Sioux. And so the minute really you walk in the door to that media room, they ask you if you want to have some soup. Well, I guess a couple of things happen. One is you go up there enough times like Don did, and eventually the question wears a little thin. And other, uh, another point to it is sometimes that soup can be like, make you sweat spicy, hot soup. So Don just, I think, always felt bad saying no, because he never, in my time with him, got the soup. And our first time, he had told me about this on our trip up to the Sioux, and that wily veteran, the first time we went into that arena together and went to that media room, he went through the door first and took as quick a right as a man his age could ever take, like he was a left winger. And he'd be off to the side, and all of a sudden, I'm face-to-face with the soup ladies. You want some soup? And I was the one that had to turn them down because I didn't want any soup. Anyway, that's my Don Cameron story from the soup. You don't even get the door fully open in that no way before they're asking you. Like <laughs> you're pulling the door open. Soup? Yeah, sure. There and they, the thing that bothers me though, they won't allow me to get the soup myself. They don't have I to know. serve me. They bring I'm like, it here, right I'll just to take your it. Table. And they're like, no, no, we'll bring it to your table. I'm like, you don't need to do that. Yeah. I'm very capable of carrying this hot bowl of soup myself. I'm scared they're gonna fall and get scarred by this hot soup just because I wanted a bowl of chicken noodle. I feel that. <laughs> So the calm and tranquil north, the hospitality that we receive while we are visiting, uh, those are sort of the off-ice escapades this week on OHL Stories. But really the story around the league is what happened about a week ago, last weekend in Owen Sound. Uh, No, pardon me, it was in London. But Knights attack, Mark Woolley uh, heading back towards the end boards on an icing. And no sooner does the whistle get blown to say, Icing has been called and Wooly might stand up a little straighter, let up just a little bit. And he gets a little, little cross check in the lower back from Brody Crane hard into the end boards goes Wooly. And let, I'll say again, Chris, I think you put this best on Twitter when you first reacted to it. And that is, it's the kind of play that has to get out of this game, this level pro level out of the game period. Yeah. Any, any cross check at that point, any push, just has no place in the game. It's a dirty play. There's no reason for it whatsoever. It is an intent to injure because Mark Woolley was standing straight up, kind of gliding. We're getting ready to turn around the net because the whistle had already went. It was icing. He clearly won the race and then gets cross-checked. And when you're standing up like that and you get cross-checked in the lower back, your feet automatically go forward and come out from under you. And Woolley was turning to go around the net and his feet came out and he went sliding into the boards. Who knows how long he'll be out for. I'm just glad he wasn't seriously injured. Cause I said to you the other day, that's how someone dies. Like you cross check someone like that. They go head first into the boards. They could break their neck. Like it's such a dirty play. And one that just has no place in the Ontario hockey league and hockey altogether. That's why they took out the race to the end line for icing. Cause you don't want guys being intertwined with each other. And then someone slips and goes into the end boards. And that was just a, like the whistle had already went. That was the thing to me. It wasn't like he was trying to push him out of the way or something like that. They weren't even close. It was a cross check after right to the lower back, which is going to send your feet out. No parent wants to see their kid 
be taken out like that. And no parent, I think, wants to see their kid make that play. It's like, I put it uh, in comparison to basketball. Like when someone's going up for a layup, you don't push them. Because if you push them, their feet are going to go out and they're going to land on their head. Like you, it's, you just don't do it. It's a, it, there's no reason for it whatsoever. And as soon as I saw that play develop and I was watching it and I'm like, he still hasn't cross-checked him. He still hasn't cross-checked him. Oh my gosh, how late is this going to be? And then like, how close to the boards are they going to be? And then you see it and you just, like, I just hung my head. I'm like, what are you thinking? And I know, I know that tempers run high and testosterone in teenagers and all that kind of stuff. No excuses, none. Yeah, you talk about the serious injury that that can result. And of course, Pat Peak famously or infamously, uh, as a member of the Washington Capitals, shattered his heel on such a play. And it was one of several key injuries that led to the very premature ending to Pat Peak's pro hockey career. Uh, but that was before the new rule, like long before. This is decades ago. That's why these rules now exist like they do. And so to your point, Chris, you're, you're watching it and you're thinking, oh my gosh, it still hasn't happened. It still hasn't happened. Uh, there it is. I- I'm not going to put intentions into this young man's mind. I have no idea. Your point's well taken that, you know, this is a highly charged, emotional, physical game. But but why you disrespect an opponent to that level, to that extent, is something I, I do have a really hard time with. I don't think it was, I don't, I said it was an intent to injure. And I don't, I shouldn't have said that because I don't think there was intent behind it. I really just think it was, you know, London and, and Owen Sound, they see each other all the time, you know, a Western Conference rival a, or a divisional rival. I'm sure it was just, I'm just going to cross check this guy, you know, let him know I'm here kind of thing. Send him, hopefully get a retaliatory penalty on Owen Sound's captain and top defenseman. I'm sure that's all it was, but it's a dangerous play. You have to realize that that's not a play that belongs in the game and you wouldn't want it done to you. So you shouldn't do it to someone else. Quite simply. It it takes me back, Chris, to something that you and I heard in one of our post game shows early in the season. In fact, it was the first weekend game two. And I don't want to get all Don Cherry on you here. But please don't <laughs> exactly for obvious reasons, but it, it does make me curious. So the post game I'm referring to the show was an interview you did with Arbor Jack guy after the Rangers came from behind to beat the Guelph storm in their second game of the season. And, and Jack, I had run amok a little bit in the game, took some undisciplined penalties. Uh, the Rangers were able to rally, come back after taking his undisciplined double minor uh, Jack, I was a model citizen the rest of the game, but in talking to him after the game, he said to you that there's nobody on that storm team that wants to fight him in the league. The Arbor Jack eyes are becoming fewer and further between because Jack, I certainly up until signing his pro contract, I won't say is one dimensional, but a guy that was never shy about mixing it up. And you don't see a lot of guys in the OHL doing that anymore and and for good reason but i i i wonder if we hadn't swung the pendulum so far away from fighting in the game and and letting the players police themselves if a play like the play that we're just talking about in london happens at all i don't know again i know that's very don cherry-esque yeah i'm i'm kind of flip-flopping here and i'm trying to figure out where i stand but i don't like back in the day would that play have happened probably but it just would have meant a line brawl right after. Sure. Right. Like 
that play did happen back in the day. We, you talked about it with Pat Peak, um, but the new rules and and as we learn to grow with this game, that play has no place in it, and that's what it is. Will he have to answer for it? Mark Woolley's probably going to make him answer for it. Let's call a spade a spade. Mark Woolley is no shrinking violet. Um, when it comes to Arbor's comments, he's right. A lot of teams in the OHL don't have a guy that likes to fight the way Arbor does. He likes, I've said it before, I think he'd drop the gloves every game if he could. I think he enjoys it. <laughs> Sickingly, maybe. Um, but he plays that physical style. And I said it on the broadcast the other day. I think he plays bigger against teams that don't have a guy that he might have to answer to because he knows we call him like I am the sheriff out here. No one is going to do anything if I'm out here because nobody wants to come near me. And we saw that against Guelph, even the most recent game in Guelph, where he basically went chasing after players. Undisciplined, yes. The game was probably out of reach by that point, but still. But I, I wonder if that isn't a, a wee bit of a problem too, simply because the way Arbor Jack guy's game has developed, and you, uh, you and I have talked about it on this podcast from, you know, free agent invitee to training camp with the Kitchener Rangers to free agent signing a pro contract with the Montreal Canadiens. Arbor Jack guy is so much more useful and so much more valuable on the ice being a good defenseman. And he is, make no mistake, he's a very good defenseman in the Ontario Hockey League right now. There are 19 other teams that would line up to have him and probably have him in their top pairing. So, you know, doing what he did, chasing guys around the ice and horse collaring them down like he did last Sunday is not something I think you can give a long leash to in Kitchener. No, but I don't think he has a long leash. And yes, this is, you know, a little Kitchener centric, but we're talking about the style of player that he is. And you brought up, he's a good defenseman tied for third right now in the OHL and plus minus. So he's obviously a benefit to the team when he's on the ice, but he's tied for first in penalty minutes. But that tell you exactly. But then you look at it. If you, if you break it down, I look at it as just that one game because he got that 10 minute. So that drops him from 20 to 10 minutes right away. And he had two double minors in Guelph. So that's eight minutes. So you take the storm out of the equation and he's fine. <laughs> so just let him play like, the other eight teams in the Western I'm, Conference. Seriously, though, like when you think about it like that. And yes, does he need to be a little more? Um, does he need to pick his spots a little bit? Sure. And do you like to see him, you know, take a 10 minute there? No. I guess the 10 minute for whatever reason, it didn't show up. So they only gave him six minutes against Guelph. So I take that away. He had, he had what? Six, it was definitely 10, announced 16. as a 10. Yeah. So he's, but... he has eight, he has 18 of his 20 minutes against Guelph this season. Right. He didn't take a penalty against Sarnia and he took one against Windsor. It's about picking your spots. And I think he, that's part of his game. He needs to be that aggressive sometimes to just send a reminder. Cause if no one's going to fight him, how does he send that reminder? He, he, he got blatantly cross-checked from Brandon Bowman below the goal line. Bowman came down retaliatory cross-check after Arbor laid a hit. And then Bowman took off. <laughs> I'd take off too, but you took your shot and you're going to run away. Well, I'm going to run after you. And I'm going to let you know that you're not taking that shot on. Me. I think you have to do that to a certain extent. More broadly, what this gets around to, and, and the conversation I really meant to have with you after those comments a couple of weeks ago, is where we're at in the game of hockey, but specific to junior hockey, because this is OHL stories after all, where we're at when it comes to fighting. And, and I'm here to tell you that I was that guy 10 years or so ago as 
the conversations were beginning to happen and they were clamping down, particularly in junior hockey around fighting. I'm like, absolutely get it out of the game. It's the only sport that allows it. This is stupid. This is barbaric. The sooner we get fighting out, the better. And I'm kind of starting to swing back the other way simply because what we no longer have, and I think what we're all going to agree is a good thing, is that tough guy on tough guy fighting the stage thing, the ones that are set up in advance, you know, the players are ready to go, it's anticipated, and so on and so forth. But I do I, I do think that the stuff that kind of happens spontaneously through the game, I'm I'm okay with it. I I think I, I think that's something that actually adds value to the game. And I, I wonder sometimes when we watch junior hockey, as much as I love it, Chris, and I've said that before, I'm a huge fan of this league, but boy, oh boy, sometimes I'd like to like, you, you see a, a, a player going to the end boards and, and the player coming in on the four check kind of peels off little it's, it's a half hit. If it's any hit at all, I don't want to see guys get hurt, but gosh, darn it. If I don't think we're missing a little bit of the physicality that we deserve in the game. I think we are. And Listen, I've, I used to be very pro fighting and I think we've kind of met in the middle a little bit. It definitely to me still has a spot in the game. Um, I think to be honest, the way the game's going though, forwards are becoming smaller and faster and more skilled and skill runs the game. So not a lot of teams have those guys at any level. So you're starting to see it go out. The guys like Brian Reeves and Tom Wilson are few and far between right now, but I think it still has a spot for sure. So Reminder of how you can get in touch with us here on the OHL Stories podcast, because we're about to get to our guest. Uh, it's farwellandpope at gmail.com is the email address on Twitter at underscore Chris Pope or at farwell underscore OHL. And if you're not already, I mean, you might be watching this as a video on our YouTube channel. Awesome. Uh, if you're just listening wherever you get your podcasts, also awesome. Leave us a review. Tell us what you think shoot us that email farwellandpope at gmail.com to let us know who you, who you might want to hear on the podcast, but our YouTube channel as well. OHL stories has this and other content from our time around the Ontario hockey league to kind of just give you another place to go for OHL content. So we hope to become that premier source of that content for you. Yeah. Make sure to check us out on all socials. As Mike said, Instagram, YouTube. I always forget that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's more content coming, not just, the silly little podcast, but please leave us a review and get in contact with us. If you have any pointers, I just want to say before we introduce this next guest, uh, how classy I thought it was after we had stopped recording and we just had a quick little chit chat. The first thing he wants to know is how are you guys doing? I hate talking about myself. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the point of this. We want to hear your stories because you played in the OHL. He's like, how are you guys doing? What's going on? I'm like, you know what? That's just, that's a nice human connection. So to the guest you're about to hear, I appreciated that. It was nice just to talk and have somebody seem genuinely interested in what us lug nuts are up to. <laughs> Absolutely. And some great stories on and off the podcast from a guy that, you know, at one point I probably wasn't a big fan of because, you know, I was playing junior in Guelph and knew a lot of the storm guys and, um, Corey Locke did a number on a lot of OHL teams <laughs> when you, <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. When you talk about, you know, the career he had in the OHL and just how dominant he was, there were a lot of OHL teams that weren't a fan of him. That's what happens when you have back-to-back 50 goal seasons, 151 points, the one year, 118, the next, there's not a lot of teams 
that like you. But uh, Corey Locke, back-to-back 50-goal seasons, back-to-back Red Tilson trophies for the league's most outstanding player, led the CHL in points. If you talk about the most dominant, most skilled players that have maybe ever played in this league, I think you have to mention a guy like Corey Locke because he continued to put up points year in and year out and everyone knew what he was going to do. Everyone knew this is the guy you got to center around and it really didn't matter. Went on to play in the American League, won a Calder Cup with the Hamilton Bulldogs, played over a thousand pro games, including nine in the National Hockey League, played for two original six teams and now back in the OHL with the Guelph Storm and a father. He had to go pick up his kids, so we let him go early. One of the things he did say too, after our recording was finished is we got to do this again. So get ready for Corey Locke part two at some point, because I think there's, there's more to share from Mr. Locke. Man, how life's changed is a eh, Corey. Now you're worried about picking the kids up from school. Not too long ago, you were wor- probably worried about where the next goal was coming from. Uh, first of all, you, we just talked off camera about picking those kids up from school. How's fatherhood? Oh, amazing. Amazing. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And, um, yeah, fatherhood's amazing. Uh, definitely changes your life. I have a nine-year-old daughter. Um, she's fantastic. Uh, she goes, she's in the fourth grade and, uh, she's seen a lot of the world. She was in uh, 14 countries by uh, age six. So, uh, welcome to the hockey life and, uh, bouncing around and trying to extend a career in Europe. And, uh, but she got a lot of to experience, a lot of, uh, uh, experiences that not a lot of uh, other kids have and, and she's uh, pretty happy to be home in one place and putting down some roots and stuff like that so she's great and uh, thanks for asking I was thinking about that very thing Corey and obviously there's lots to talk about with the travels that you've had in hockey but here you are back in the Ontario Hockey League now as a coach obviously and not too far from where you grew up in Newmarket is that is that any sense of of full circle for you at this point a uh, big time for sure um, I, I always knew after I was done playing hockey, I wanted to stay in the game somehow. Um, you know, I had such an amazing time when I was uh, in junior hockey in, in Ottawa and, and playing in the OHL that I knew that I'd want to come back and be involved uh, at some capacity. Um, and, and I'm lucky to have the opportunity because I know uh, a lot of uh, ex-players and a lot of good people, a lot of good coaches want to be involved uh, in the OHL and in the game. And uh, I'm fortunate to have the opportunity to do that. Uh, while you were playing, Corey, you picked up the Bachelor of Science and Management at the uh, University of Phoenix. How important was it for you during your playing career to still think about life after hockey? Yeah, it was huge. Uh, my uh, my mom and dad were both uh, high school teachers, uh, both uh, retired after 30 years of, of teaching and, and school was always important to them, um, keeping my grades up and making sure that didn't slide. And uh, when I when I was making the decision to, to play in Ottawa or, or go on a, a pursue you know, a scholarship in the NCAA. Um, my parents wanted to make sure that I was, you know, taken care of with this, the school package and stuff like that. And I knew my mom wanted me to take some classes in Ottawa uh, when I was when I was playing there, and it was kind of a little bit more difficult to do that. But uh, but I knew that you know when I was playing pro, um, you know, after a few years in, about four or five years in, I knew that you know I needed to make sure I had something to, to fall back on, and and I you know. I was lucky enough that since I played in the NHL there at the time, there was a, a package that, you know, you could uh, apply for a scholarship through the University of Phoenix online. And um, I don't think many players at the time, well, one knew about it or, or wanted to do it. And I think uh, people shied away from it because it was online and everything like that. And, you know, now, 
you know, 15 years later or whatever. Uh, I think everything's done online now in schooling and uh, maybe they were ahead of their time. So uh, it was important for me to get that done and, and uh, you know, uh, pretty pretty proud of the accomplishment uh, to be able to do it while I was playing uh, professionally uh, hockey for all those years. And, and I, but, I, but I know my mom's uh, probably more proud of me to get, for getting that done than maybe the stuff I accomplished uh, while I was playing hockey. You talk about that time with the Ottawa 67s, you're playing for Brian Kilray. Now here you are back in the Ontario Hockey League, part of the Guelph Storm organization with George Burnett, a couple of the biggest names in coaching in the Ontario Hockey League. But I want to take it in a slightly different direction. Brian Kilray and George Burnett walk into a bar. They exchange words. They have to take it out to the parking lot. Who's walking back in? Um, no comment. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that one. <laughs> Neither of them. <laughs> Neither of them. <laughs> Neither of them. Uh, both, uh, to, to be honest, both legends of, of the game of hockey um, and, of course, in the, the OHL. You know, I was really fortunate to play with, um, you know, play for Brian Kilray. Um, it was just his 87th birthday, and I remember um, when I was there, it was a 67th. So, you know, 20 years later, um, you know, kind of time flies and stuff like that, but, uh, playing for Brian to, to taught you how to be a pro, um, when you're 16, 17, 18, 19, you know, really treated you like uh, a professional or, or wanted you to get onto the next, uh, uh, chapter of your life and, and getting you prepared for that. Um, what he was a motivator. Um, he, he knew what buttons to push with me for sure. And, and, and to keep me, fired up and always trying to achieve my best so uh, I have uh, great praise for for Brian Killer and what he did for for me um, both on and off the ice uh, I still stay in touch with him um, sporadically here um, you know and uh, he's a great man and I owe a lot to him and now getting the opportunity to work for George it's amazing what he's done to you know very similar path to, 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 to Brian where you know, spent a, a majority of his time in, in the OHL and developing, you know, the next generation of NHLers is, is what he's done. And, um, you know, George is continuing to do that now. He's, uh, you know, he's a coach that, um, you know, demands from the players, but is a, really fair. And, uh, you know, he's obviously adapting, um, you know, not, there's a new style of game. There's a new way of doing things through uh, development and skill and all that kind of stuff that he's, uh, you know, totally on board for, which is, uh you know, just shows how, you know, you have to adapt as, as you, you continue to stay in this game. And I think he's done a great job with that. Back to killer just for a second. I'm sure it won't just be for a second. Who am I kidding? <laughs> it's killer. Um, you joined the 67s after a year with new market, put up almost two points a game in new market. You walk into that rink and you know, it's killer. What is it like the first meeting with a guy like that? Well, I met with Brian, uh, I went down the, the drafts. Uh, I'll go back a little bit. Uh, the draft still happened like live when I was, when I got drafted and, and uh, I, w- I was torn between going to NCAA or going to the OHL and uh, made the decision that I was going to play your new market and, and my agent at the time, let the teams know. And um, so I went to the draft to, su- to support my teammates and, and I wasn't dressed like everyone else. Everyone else was wearing shirt and tie and I kind of showed up in a golf shirt and, you know, maybe pants or shorts or something, but I was there to support my teammates because I thought I wasn't going to get drafted after making this decision. And uh, I did get drafted and had to go down to the table and meet Brian Kilray. And the first thing he said was, love your outfit. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he was, if it was sarcastic or what, but um, that was, the, that was my first impression. He, he did a visit at the house and 
Um, they respect the decision that I want to play, you know, a year junior and, 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 you know, go about that. And um, during that year, I, I kind of visited some schools and my dad took me down and Ottawa at the end of the, my, my year in junior was like, well, you, you know, you've gone down to visit there. Why don't you come in? Uh, visit us in Ottawa and see the rank and see your, where you're, you would live if you you've, if you came to Ottawa with your billets and the school you go to and stuff like that. So I remember stepping into that rank and, and meeting Brian and watching a game and um, you know kind of going down to the coach's room after the game and seeing how how um, how well respected Brian was and you know the following that he had and stuff like that. So uh, I kind of knew after I went to that uh, that visit to Ottawa that you know I was kind of meant to play there. How did you find that transition into the OHL? When we look strictly at the points, Corey, it seems like the game was kind of easy to you, but how did you find the transition? Yeah, no, I, it, it wasn't. Um, you know, I think the year of uh, playing junior A really helped me, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I started, I, if I recall, I would, I would start on the third line, uh, third or fourth line. And by the end of the year, I was, you know, on the, on the top line, but I was playing against 20-year-olds. Um, you know, I was playing good minutes. I was developing, um, that, that helped. Right. And, and I think if I went to Ottawa that year, which I could have as a 16 year old, still the way the draft worked out, um, you know, I, they, they went to the Memorial cup that year. You know, I don't think I would have played many minutes. I was probably, probably in and out of the lineup. Um, looking back on it, it was definitely a, a good year for me, a, a right move and, and for my development. So then stepping into the OHL, I think just a year later, you know, instead of 16 and 17 and playing against 20 year olds and, um, you know, doing the bus trips and all those kind of things that you don't get in minor hockey, it kind of helped me for, for junior and uh, for, sorry, for major junior. And, and I, it was still a transition. I, you know, I stepped in and, um, you know, I played right away and I was playing, you know, six games in. I separate my shoulder and was out for, you know, six, seven weeks with a separated shoulder and crap collarbone. So, you know, as prepared as you are, or, you know, how good the year is before anything can kind of happen um, within your first year in the OHL. Corey, we had uh, killer on this podcast and it was amazing. I think, I think honestly, we went probably an hour and a half and it was just, I think we asked 10 questions. Like Keller was just, <laughs> just diving into story after story, recalling names. Yours was one of them. Um, but he, he talked about his coaching style and how he would, if there was someone he really wanted to, you know, send a message to in the room during an intermission or whatever, it would always be like the third person. He'd go after the first two guys, just like a ha ha. And then the third person was the one that he really wanted to send a message to. Do you remember any, um, intermission speech by killer or a pregame speech or anything in the room that stands out when you think of him as a coach. Cause obviously in the room, he was, uh, made people laugh, but he was also pretty straightforward. Yeah, he was straightforward. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't sugarcoat anything. That's for sure. Um, he also, what, what I learned as, you know, as you get older, like if he was hard on you and he yelled at you and he was pushing you and stuff like that, he liked you. If you didn't, if he didn't say a word to you or nothing, he, I don't, I don't mean it this way, but he didn't have as much time for you. You know, like you could tell that this was his way of motivating you and staying on top of you and pushing you. And, you know, we had some good teams there and, you know, we had some, you know, some nights where things might've been easier than, than usual. And he stayed as hard on us in those nights as, as any coach would, you know what I mean? To make sure that we were um, diligent on, you know, the habits and making sure that we executed properly. But I do remember I tell a story. Um, I went up in my third year uh, to his office before practice 
um, the boys wanted to eat at a different place when we stopped at Belleville because we would, we would go to, you know, a lot of the times we'd play Friday night and um, bus down to Belleville and eat the next day and go on and stuff like that. And uh, the boys wanted to eat, I believe, at an Eastside Mario's or something like that instead of another restaurant. And I went up and asked and Brian said, yeah, whatever the boys want. Yeah, we'll do that. No problem. Like, and, uh, you know, it was a really civil conversation. He was really nice about it. I, I knew that the place where he liked he liked to eat and that's why we ate there but he said yes to the boys you know we i go down i put my skates on my equipment on and uh he always started the process with like you know on the whistle you, you, you take off and you skate and on the next whistle you slow it down and first whistle goes i take off second whistle goes stops and just yells at me for a good 30 seconds about how that wasn't hard enough and and then he blew the whistle he started again and stopped again and blew <laughs> how hard my, I wasn't skating and I think it was pretty much from going up into the office and trying to you know stick up with my for my teammates and I, I don't think he liked that <laughs> I think he wanted to eat at his restaurant so <laughs> he made me he let me know right uh, about 30 minutes later and I thought we had a nice civil conversation everything was worked out but I guess he got the last laugh that day so is it the last thing you ever asked for yeah <laughs> <laughs> on that side of things yeah <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I didn't think it was such a big deal. I think the boys just wanted to eat at a different restaurant, you know. So. How bad was the Anne Murray and cigars on the bus? Oh, geez. Yeah, actually, it's funny you say that because I was, I was, uh, uh, when I, I was in Guelph this week when it was Brian's birthday and, and George was, uh, George Burnett was trying to call him to wish him a happy birthday when I was in the office, and so we both could say happy birthday to him and. Uh, we didn't get through at the time. And, and I was just telling him, he said, things were a lot different back then. I said, yeah. And, and uh, so I, I moved into my billets house and uh, I'm getting ready to go on the first road trip down to Kingston or Belleville to play exhibition game. And she's like, you got everything. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, you don't have much. And I'm like, ah, I don't really sleep on the bus. I'll, I'll be all right. And she's like, well, you, you need a blanket. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to sleep. So don't worry. She's like, the blanket's, the blanket's not for sleeping. She's like, you got to put it over your head. Um, Cause you're going to sit at the front of the bus where Brian sits and the other coaches and the trainers. And uh, there's an odor that comes out all the time there. And you want to, you want to protect yourself so that you, that you have some lungs for the, for, uh, for uh, the game and stuff like that. So uh, she, she was a, uh, she was a veteran uh, billet and knew how, how, what happened. And she got me a blanket and I, uh, I'm forever grateful of, of, of that little, that little tip by her. So, and that, that's I, a good billet right yeah, there. Really good billet. Really good billet. Absolutely. You, you know, speaking of things being different, Corey, uh, one of your red Tilson award-winning years was a year you put up 151 points. That was a CHL best. Uh, we don't see numbers like that in the league anymore, probably for a variety of reasons, but how do you look at the league? that you're a part of today on a coaching staff versus the league that you played in 20 years ago. Yeah. It's the game's, to- the game's different, right? Uh, hockey's the same, but you know what I mean? Things change and tr- uh, trends change and stuff like that. And, you know, I played through a time where, you know, it was clutch and grab and, you know, bigger boys. And it was, uh, I-, I think it was a lot more physical. Um, there was definitely, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, hits that aren't allowed anymore in, in the game. Um, there was a lot more fights there, you know, um, 
I, I, I think it was a different game right back then. And, and now I think it's a, you know, a real speed game. Like if you, if you didn't skate that well back when I played, you could get away with it by, you know, maybe fighting or being physical or, or, or being agitated or doing other things. Um, you know, everyone needs to be able to skate now. Every, every team looks for skaters. Um, and then you, you try to mold them into, you know what I mean? What, whatever, role you want them to play on the team and stuff like that so you know, I was fortunate to put up a lot of points um, you know I, I always say it I, I play with great players um, you know great line mates and great teammates uh, Brian Kelly put me in great situations um, to succeed and and uh, I, I think that I think you're going to see numbers like that eventually back in you know the the, the the players now are way too skilled not to not put up these points and with the amount of you know clutching and grabbing that's or that's out of the game and stuff like that and the amount of power plays they are um i believe that you know someone will do it here pretty soon all right Corey, you're two years older than me so i knew who you were in your junior days um i was playing junior b at the time i've waited 20 years to ask this i can't wait for this <laughs> I'm so excited. Good or bad? <laughs> oh, it's funny. It's funny. It's funny. That's what funny. did I do? <laughs> no. How many? How many of that year? You had 151. I think I'd pull it up here. 88 assists. How many of those came when you were on the bench? Oh, man, oh man. I don't think. I don't think many. I'm just kidding. I don't think so. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't think many. Oh, there's just two. There was probably a few that were, you know, second assist that, you know, maybe someone got a stick on and stuff like that. And <laughs> the score, the score in Ottawa was awfully friendly, but I'm sure that happens in Kitchener and London and Kingston and everywhere else around the league too, right? So I'm only kidding. That's just the talk amongst the people that were chasing you and could never catch you. And they're like, he's got to be getting some from the bench. <laughs> like, how is he putting up this many well, I remember <laughs> I, um, one of my one of my best friends and and I, I grew up with him uh, childhood friend is George Halkidis and he was a he's a Kitchener alumni and um obviously we played each other in in the in the OHL finals back in 03 03 um when when you guys went on to win uh, Kitchener went on to win uh, the the Memorial Cup and OHL championship and um I know there was a, like a documentary of that season that went through and uh, it, in that documentary, <laughs> it says, you know, well, you know, maybe he was given a couple assists here and there. <laughs> so I, I, I know the rumors and I know they're the following year. It was, uh, I do, I do remember the following year, one year, uh, it, one of the game sheets said like lock from lock and lock. And I was like, every. <laughs> think that <laughs> yeah, there's no way it stood but like it just didn't look good right like so uh, I think it all got sorted out and stuff like that but, just having some fun is all you uh <laughs> yeah. but it's obviously a few here and there you, it happens right you mentioned teammates earlier and I I mean we could probably spend an entire separate podcast talking about various guys that you played with but particularly in junior uh, Matt Foy, this was a guy that the two of you were about as dynamic as it got in the Ontario Hockey League. What did he mean to you? Oh, like I've, I've never had chemistry um, with anyone that I played with uh, better than I did with, with Matt. Um, me and him had, you know, it was just, we, we worked so well off of each other. He was, you know, I, I played center, he played right wing. Um, you know, it was, it was an easy to find him, right? You know, centermen's always have the tendency to go their forehands as much as I, I did use my backhand and stuff like that. I, 
you know, your tendency is always to look to the right side and it's easier that way. And he was just such a powerful skater and so fast that I could just lay pucks into areas and I knew where he was going. And, um, you know, we just worked really well off each other. And I think the biggest thing too, is that, you know, we pushed each other, like we pushed each other in practice, you know, we, the whole year we were, you know, we would, you know, we're having to, we're having a really good season, but we're pushing each other, right? Like at the same time, you know, he, he scores, I want to score. He, he gets a couple of points. I want to get a couple of points. We, we pushed each other in a good competitive way. Um, and we were, we were kind of hard on each other. We, we made sure that, you know, we demanded a lot of each other and things were good. And um, I, I just think it was, it was kind of a, both of our styles just really fit in. And I think one of the biggest things that, you know, as I turn pro and stuff, you get into these roles that, you know, when I, when I turned pro, I became more of a playmaker. Um, when I was, uh, you know, in my first few years of pro, you know, I was playing with, you know, not as many skill guys as I, I was used to and stuff like that. And I had to go get the puck and I had to go get the puck in areas where, you know, I didn't, I wasn't going to be a shooter and stuff like that. And I think my game trying to transitioned into more of a playmaker and stuff. And then when I, but in junior and when I played with Matt and stuff like that, it didn't matter who got the goals that night. Like if you look at, you know, our numbers, they, they're, they're so similar that, you know, he would score a few one night and I would get them the next night. And, you know, and then our, our line mate, Scott Shepard would chip in and, and, you know, it didn't matter who got it, like, which is, which is really different because now when you see, you know, players play with guys, they, they, they say, Oh, he's a playmaker. He's the shooter. And he's the grinder. And, you know, they try to mix everything together where when I played with Matt, it was, you know, we didn't care who scored, who got the assist and we just wanted to contribute. And I think a lot of the times too, like, you know, obviously Scott Shepard, he was a, he was an amazing, um, <clears throat> you know, player as well. And, you know, he had, a, I think close to a hundred points and he gets, you know, they, no one ever talks about him and he was huge. He was, he was a, he did a lot of, a, a lot of the grunt work. He went to the front of the net. He, he created a lot of space and, you know, he, he was, he's someone that, you know, there's a lot of credit as well that doesn't get enough recognition at times. You talk about that chemistry. You played over a thousand pro games and you still go back to Matt as the guy you had the most chemistry with. What leads to that kind of chemistry? Is it just something that happens naturally or is it something that happens in the room and you get to know the guy and then you, or is it just playing with him repeatedly? I think it, I think it's got to click like early, to be honest, like with, with chemistry, it's got to be there. Like you can, you can work towards it and stuff like that. You know, I think you can, you can work with anyone, but with him, it kind of clicked right away. You know, we were, what happened um, when we started? Um, one of one of our older players t- took a couple bad penalties in, uh, in I remember in Barry, and uh, Brian Brian was not too happy with that player and stuff like that. And I was he was my right winger at the time, and Matt played center, so he he was. You know, we played both up the middle together and, and Brian had this idea of moving Matt to the right wing. And, and uh, I remember the game in Brampton, I think Matt had something like four points and, you know, I had, I, you know, two or three and our line mate had, you know, two or three as well. And then that was it, you know, it just clicked. And then, you know, the chemistry was there initially. And then, you know, these things happen, right? Coaches make, make lineup moves and you spark something and stuff like that. You don't know how long it will last. Maybe it lasts a couple of games, maybe a couple of weeks, obviously with Matt, you know, the chemistry kept building and we, you know, we got, we got to know each other more and kind of had that sixth sense of, you know, where he was going to be on the ice and you get used to like the predictability of where your line mate's going to be or where he wants the puck or how he likes the puck. And, 
you know, we just, we just fed off each other, you know, and it, so it, it, it started right away, but it grew and grew and, you know, it would have been uh, too bad he left the, the next, after that year, or it would it be a lot of fun the following year to, to kind of try to do it all over again? You know, but I, but I did, sorry, but I did get a chance to play with Matt again um, years later in Germany. So we, we played in, in Berlin together and uh, kind of came full circle. We got to win a championship with uh, the Ice Baron in Berlin, um, played together on a line and stuff like that. And when I came there, the guys kind of knew that we played together. And, you know, that was the big joke and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it kind of came full circle and we, uh, we really enjoyed playing with each other, uh, you know, obviously in junior, but got to do it again in pro and, and kind of topped it off with that championship that we missed uh, before Kitchener uh, uh, Kitchener ended that uh, that uh, goal that we had. That must have felt great in this foreign land all those years later but to be reunited with a guy like Matt. Yeah, it was awesome. And, and Julian Talbot was part of the part of the team too that we played together with in Ottawa. So it was you know three sixty sevens boys and. And Vince Millette was our assistant coach, which was Brian Kilroy's long-term, long-time assistant coach. So there's a big connection. Peter Lee was the general manager, famous Ottawa 67, obviously. So there was a big connection to to the 67s in, in Berlin. And it was, it was, uh, it was a neat atmosphere. Was, and uh, I'll remember those, uh, that, that, uh, that time for, for many years to come. Obviously, if people don't know, you were a forward, but do you remember Killer's rule for his defenseman when clearing the puck? <laughs> Yeah, you couldn't use your back end. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. No, like, well, up the middle and couldn't use your back end. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I knew, because I knew he'd yell at Brandon Bell every single day because he would, Brandon Bell would use his back end and come up the, right up the middle to, to us. <laughs> <laughs> so, but there's a, there's a concept that, right? Like you would, like there's, you know, you never played through the middle of the ice back when I played. It always went to the wall and then, you know, you'd support the centerman would come over and support and the winger would come over and slash across. Like that's the way the game was played. And now obviously 20 years later, we're talking about not going up the backhand with you up the middle of the ice in your backhand. And now coaches are promoting it and to try to exit through the middle of the ice, you know? So it's, it's kind of, it's funny how the game and the trends change, right? You know, a guy that put up the kind of points you put up and we're talking about these offensive exploits with Matt Foy and this and that, but that means when you went into a visiting barn, you were obviously the target of that team's game plan. Do you remember a guy that you really hated playing against? Uh, I had some, we, well, we had some really good battles with uh, Belleville, obviously. Um, that year there was uh, Matt Stajan. Uh, Cody McCormick and uh, Paymont. Uh, I forget. I forget his first name. I want to. Um, and they were a line. And we played each other head to head all the time, all the time, and it, it got pretty intense and stuff like that. And that was quite the rivalry. I remember that. But <clears throat> I give Brian, you know, Brian. I give Brian a lot of, you know, killer a lot of credit. Like he, you know, he would push me to play just as well as I played on Friday night in you know, Belleville on that Saturday afternoon at two o'clock, you know, like there was no, Hey, you're not going to just play at home, you know, with our fans and, you know, our atmosphere and when, you know, I have the change and I can put you on, you know, when I can make the matchups and make it a little bit easier on you. He, he, he made sure that, you know, I, I came to play when I, you know, it was a Tuesday in Brampton with, you know, 
not very many fans there and or it was a gaming kitchener with the sold out barn and knew there was you know people in the stands watching right so um i i i don't remember you know chris newberry always comes to mind uh, i didn't play a ton against him but a lot of pro against him and he was you know he was just a guy that could do everything and he was just just a tough player to play against um but there's lots of them <laughs> there's lots <laughs> yeah. so. you you talk a lot about your relationship with brian and if i can ask just one last question on killer yeah um he he was a player's coach he you know and he you hear all these stories of former players still in contact with him like yourself there's that story of um, a player's father telling him, I handed you a boy and you're giving me back a man. Thank you. Yeah. What is it about Killer that he's able to go into the room, be straightforward like he was, rip you apart during the game, but then still have the trust and the relationship with his players? And what, what was it about him that allowed him to do that? Yeah, I think I, I think I grew up with some hard coaches in my minor hockey days. Um, my dad never coached me. Um, I had coaches that were all pretty hard on me all the time. And I kind of had the attitude where I was kind of like, Oh, all right. You want to, you're saying this, I'll, I'll prove you wrong or yeah. Yeah, I'll go do it. Yeah. No problem. You like kind of one of those. Um, so when it came to Brian, I kind of was used to it and maybe not in the intensity that, that Brian brought. Um, but I kind of knew that, you know, I, I, you know, we had some heated conversations, right? Obviously. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I don't, I didn't agree with him all the time and, you know, he obviously didn't agree with my play all the time. Right. But he knew the buttons to push. And I think he just demanded, I think he was just such a, a legend really that you knew if he was saying something, you listen and, you know, he, you know, he was there to try to make you better. And, you know, I, I, I did say that, you know, he yelled at people that, you know, had, um, you know, that he wanted to get more out of, but he cared for every single person he coached, you know, don't take that the wrong way of when I said that, but, um, you know, he cared for everyone in that dressing room and, and wanted everyone to succeed. But I think that he just, you'd walk in, he had that presence and you knew that, you know, you listen and it was going to be his way and, or, you know, you weren't going to be able to do it. You know, you weren't going to be around in Ottawa too long. And, and usually Brian would ship you somewhere to uh, somewhere far, far away, like Sault Ste. Marie or Windsor or <laughs> Owen Sound, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere far, far away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we know that the the reason that that guys play this game it's it's to win, it's to to move from the level that we're talking about in the Ontario Hockey League into the National Hockey League and ultimately win there. But for a Toronto area kid, Corey, in all honesty, did it sting a little bit when it's Montreal calling your name at the draft? No, I think I was just so relieved to get drafted. To be honest with you, um, uh, one I get drafted to like probably the most famous you know obviously famous hockey organization in in the world you know what i mean maybe you know up there in the sports world right and the the history the tradition it was it was an honor it's an honor to get drafted to any nhl club right and yeah you know you look back and you know it didn't have much ties to montreal you know toronto kid uh, no French background, you know, stuff like that. So you look back and you wonder, you know, now, but at the time you're just so thrilled that, you know, an NHL team took you and you're going to be part of, you know, you're just one step closer to, you know, that ultimate dream that you had when you're, you first put on skates at, you know, five, six years old. So no, I, you know, I, I was just, I was, you know, it was, it was a great day. I'm glad I got drafted and, you know, you, you know, that, that's all I, 
year was just exciting for me and my family, to be honest with you. Do you have a different outfit? Like no golf shirt and shorts that day, maybe? <laughs> no, I wore a suit that day. Yeah. Okay. I, had, I, had, I, had, I wore a suit that day. <laughs> 06, 07 was a pretty magical year when you were with the Hamilton Bulldogs. Um, I, I, I think it's fair to say, I don't think many people expected you guys to win the Calder Cup heading into the playoffs. But then just a few games before that, you guys got a new goalie and he's gone on to a decent career in the name of Carey Price. What was it like when he came in and started playing the way he was? Yeah, he was okay. He was decent. <laughs> he was okay that playoffs, yeah. <laughs> no, I remember. So you came in. I was. I did. I did an interview with uh, the athletic, and, and they were asking me about it. And, and I, I remember. He, so he comes in and he plays a Friday night regular season game. Plays again on Sunday. And I remember the Friday night. It was five on three, and he made like three unbelievable like east west back door saves. And I was like on the bench and looking and like, that was incredible. Like, and my first thought was like, how did this guy lose in junior? <laughs> first off, I was like, how, like, how is he with us? Like, I don't get it. Like if he's that good. Like, and um, so he played really well the Friday night and played again the Sunday and um, <clears throat> coaching staff started him and, and, you know, kind of the story was, that, that was it. You know, he went on to be the MVP of the playoffs and uh, the, the backbone of our team. And we just had huge confidence, like, right from the like honestly right from that friday night regular second you know third last game of the season we, we the team was confident in them and you're you're absolutely right like we were we were a good team but we were in the middle of the pack um you know rochester um it was rochester and manitoba who we played and i, I forget the fourth team maybe they was the marlies at that time that got in the playoffs or grand rapids but uh like the three of us played we played Rochester in the first round and then in the second round we played Manitoba and like we played the exact same systems like it was the same like and we played so much against each other too that you knew what you were going to get and um it was a coin flip between there and then kind of once you got out of that that you know north division and you got into the the conference finals we played Chicago and didn't see them much and it was different and you know Kerry was so good and you know it was kind of a kind of a storybook thing and we weren't supposed to make it, but you know, it's, it's those things where, you know, you just gel at the right time, you know, the, the chemistry between players um, takes off and we had guys, you know, the, the thing too about the AHL and, and that year, we, we, we split with Edmonton. So some, some guys were up and down with Edmonton. Some guys were up and down Montreal, both those teams didn't make the playoffs. So they sent guys back. So then you had a, you had a different lineup and, you know, kind of just came together and it was uh, quite the experience and it was pretty cool. Can I help in here real quick for us? I just got asked, do you remember the Calder cup party that you guys had? And do you remember what Carrie wore to it? Yeah, he wore like, like, like Hunter. He, he was like going out to, on a hunting trip up North or see, yeah, 100%. I think he only came with that. From, from was it Spokane? You play Spokane? That's where, uh, where he, no, Tri-City. Tri-City. Yeah. The Americans. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like, I think that's all he brought with him was this hunting gear. And I don't know if he knew he was coming to Hamilton and like a suburb of down Toronto, or I don't know if he, where he thought he was going, but, but, yeah, but he, well, he was a great, he was unbelievable. He's, he was, he's a great person. He's, uh, you know, I hope he's doing well, well now. You know, obviously he's asked for some help and I'm sure I'm sure he'll get through it. And, all that but he was uh he's a great kid he's gone on to do um you know unbelievable things in his career and i hope eventually one day he can you know lift that stanley cup that's so deserving for him when you look back 
Corey, uh, at the decision to leave North America, go over and play in Europe. You've talked about the number of stops and a great experience for your young child, for sure. But it's got to be tough to, to say, I'm, I'm done over here. I'm going to go play over there. What was that process like for you at the time? Yeah, I think it just got, um, you know, I, I went over after nine years in the AHL. Um, so, I, you know, I, I gave it everything I could to, you know, make the NHL and become a regular. I was, you know, fortunate enough to play a handful of games and, and, you know, fulfill that dream as, you know, a, a, a child, you know, that was my dream and, and, and you know, play in the NHL. And I did. And obviously when you dream about it as a kid, you, you dream as, you know, a career and, you know, uh, as long as possible. And, you know, it's a tough, it's tough to get into, you know, it's a, it's a tough league. It's the best league in the world. There's a, there's, it's, it's not just Canadians, it's Americans, the, the Europeans are, you know, obviously coming into this league, they're so good now and they've done a heck of a job developing over in their countries and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, so after nine years in North America, you know, you, you know, it, I was fortunate and there's a veteran rule, um, in the AHL and, you know, you just kind of, sometimes your time runs out. Right. And, um, I could kind of see the writing on the wall, but at the same time, I was a little frustrated that, you know, the opportunity never came. And, you know, if you want to extend your career, you know, you, you go to Europe and, and you, you go and do that experience and uh, forever gra- grateful that, you know, I had a, you know, six year experience over in your, in Europe and, and bouncing around some of those, those countries. And, and you met a lot of great people. You met a lot of uh, obviously new cultures, you, you, new teammates, new coaches, new different philosophies and stuff like that. So definitely helped me grow. And um, I'm glad I, I'm glad I did it for sure. Sorry, You're- Kopi, if I can just jump in there, because I just the follow up on, you did get to play in the NHL, though. Tell yeah. us about the first game. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if you know the story, but uh, I got called up on. Um, we had a three and three right after Christmas, uh, 27, 28, 29. And the 30th, we were flying, we were busing down to Grand Rapids. So on the 30th, I get called up to Montreal. From, from, I get called up, and uh, I have to go to New York City, though. And it's right before New Year's in New York City. So I get on the plane. It's a five o'clock game on the 30th. Go to the airport, check in. Obviously, it's going to be really tight anyways. But, you know, they're trying to get me there and all this kind of stuff. I get on the plane. We sit on the runway, get into New York. There's millions of people in the airport. It's like this this husband and wife could see that I, you know, I, I didn't know where to go to get the oversized baggage, all this kind of stuff. They help me out. I get over there. And I'm like, I don't see my bags, my sticks, like, and uh, she checks and she goes, I, sorry, but your, your bag has uh, your stuff still in Toronto. So I was like, okay, I don't really know. Oh. I had to call Bob Ganey and be like, hey, my equipment didn't get put on the plane. <laughs> well, he was like, well, come over to Madison Square Garden and come over. So I go over and. Um, so I watch the game from the press box up there and, and then fly back to Montreal and stay a couple of days in Montreal, get set back to Hamilton. So the next day, next day, um, I get called up about a week later and I go to the airport and my bag is that Montreal, that Hamilton Bulldogs bag that's in red. It looks like it's an orange caught like paint, like, sorry, a sticker 
Like it is priority, priority. Everything has a priority thing on it. So it gets on. Uh, then we get on the, I get on the plane and they're like, oh, it's delayed with fog. And I'm like, I'm going to miss another game. There's no, I'm not getting to Montreal. I'm like, can I get off the plane? I'll, I'll, I can get there. I can drive there. It's, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. I, I think I can get to Montreal if I drive. <laughs> Finally, the plane takes off. I get to Montreal and play in that game. And it was pretty cool because I, uh, it was against, it was against Chicago, original six. Um, so, you know, obviously you didn't, the, the teams didn't play too much against each other in the format um, at the time. So it was pretty cool to be in a traditional um playing in, you know, two traditional original six teams. And it was quite the, the atmosphere. I was, you know, I played some games in Montreal and through exhibition and stuff like that. So I knew the atmosphere. I knew what it was going to be like, the, you know, the adrenaline and stuff. And, you know, it was, it was a special night for sure. Man, Montreal, your first NHL game, it's in Montreal. Then you play for New York. You're playing, did you play in MSG, I assume, in the games uh, you played? Exhibition. never Exhibition? Uh, yeah, never. And then the other team you played for is Ottawa, where you played your junior career. Where, where do you rank those? Like that, those are three iconic moments. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I like, obviously Montreal, you, you get drafted by them. You want to play there. I got, you know, kind of got through that and, and, and I did that. Um, then I went to another original six and, and New York is New York, right. And Madison square garden. And um, I wish I played a regular season game there, but when I was called up, it was on a road trip and stuff like that, which is still, you get to play for another original six, um, um, team. And then it kind of comes, comes full circle with Ottawa. You know, I was really excited when that kind of offer came in. Um, you know, I had a couple other offers from, from teams that, that year when I, when I signed with Ottawa and I just, you know, the connection and, you know, there was, there was something, you know, coming back to Ottawa and, you know, I just felt that if, if any team would give me a chance or it would be, you know, kind of fit the storyline, it would be Ottawa. And I got, kind of, I got my most games with Ottawa and stuff. I wish it was, obviously everyone wishes it was more, but um, it kind of came full circle. It was, it was my billets got to see me play and, and, and I forget the name, maybe it was the Canadian Tire Center at the time, but got to see me play in Ottawa and uh, kind of full circle kind of thing, which was really neat. So I, I topped a rank up, to be honest with you, I was, put them one a one b one c all together so i gotta bring it back from these these classic buildings in in the show to the ontario hockey league you mentioned those belleville games on a saturday earlier so you're you know the yardman i'm thinking of these buildings in the east Corey, that you would have seen peterborough which has never changed you would have been the old oshawa arena was there a favorite or least favorite for you on the road uh least favorite um windsor was tough to go into Windsor was tough, but you only did that once a year, right? right? Being from the East. So really it was one game and you, you got through it and stuff like that. Just the small grungy low lights kind of thing. Um, I love St. Mike's. I love, oh, yeah. I love St. Mike's. Uh, I don't know why it was small, um, but I loved it. I went to school there for two years um, when I was a kid, uh, grade nine and 10. So I was familiar with the, the rink and that campus, I guess, and stuff like that. So I always loved it. I loved you know, playing, I, I guess I just love the atmosphere there and, and new things were going to happen really quickly in that, 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 uh, in that building and stuff like that. And I know that, so I, I knew I could play in that little tight space. And I remember when I played in B- at Binghamton, when I was in Ottawa system, Binghamton's AHL team, there was, it's a smaller ice surface than NHL and, and I had some success in there. So I, I know I can play in smaller rinks, just, I know things happen quickly and, you know, whenever there's a turnover, it's pretty much 
if there's a turnover, you're going right to the net with pucks and stuff like that. There's a good chance there's going to be a scoring opportunity, but I really enjoy playing St. Mike's. Um, it's funny we, you know, me and George were talking the good old, you know, he coached in Oshawa at the time and that, you know, I remember Sunday nights, six o'clock, six Oh five, you know, going into, going into Oshawa. And that was always a tough test. I enjoy, always enjoyed playing there, but it, it was always a, a, t- a tough game and George had some good teams and some, some, some mean players and some tough teams. And, um, but uh, I don't, I liked, I liked St. Mike's. I always, I always enjoyed St. Mike's. Ottawa is obviously, you know, so familiar with. And um, I don't, I don't know if I didn't like any buildings, you know, like, but a lot of them have been changed over. Right. As you said. Right. Well, we know punctuality is important to George and it's important to us too. So we know you have fatherly duties to do. So thanks a lot for coming on. We'll let you go pick up your daughter from school. Well, thanks very much. Appreciate this. This is, uh, this has been a lot of fun reminiscing about uh, the OHL days. And um, like I said before, I, you know, I, I owe a lot to Brian Kilray for, you know, uh, what he did for me when I was in Ottawa and, you know, it's just, uh, it's nice to reminisce and thanks for, thanks for bringing back these memories. We'll get you on for part two a little later. Get sure. some more killer stories out of you. And, if um, you're late for those kids, they're going to have to wrap them in priority tape to make sure they get picked up next time. For sure. For sure. <laughs> My wife will not be too pleased with me. Sure. <laughs> All right. Getting the good books. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Corey. Guys, appreciate you having me. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.